0: And we'll, welcome to HR Tech Weekly, One Step Closer with Stacey Harris and John Sumser. Stacey, how are you?
1: Good morning, John. I'm doing well. I am in North Carolina this week.
0: The hurricane
1: season has, or at least the, the most recent hurricane has passed in this area, and uh, the sun is out this week, so I will take that uh, compared to where we are, have been at the last couple of weeks. And how about you? Are you home this week and, and in a safe environment finally?
0: Yeah, yeah the, the the fire still rages on around around us but it became safe ish to come home. The evacuation warnings and notices were all lifted and so we got back in the house Monday night after ten or eleven days of being evacuated. Um and it's good to be home, it's nice to sleep in my own bed. The air is unbreathable. <laughs> Like the worst industrial cities on the planet have better air quality than we do right now, and um, it's 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 interesting to be in that and and to come home and to have the air in the area so bad that it stings your eyes to have them open. It's um, crazy. It's crazy. It's crazy, and this is just the sort of a taste of what global warming is bringing us.
1: They, they were saying one, I think, that at least in the San Francisco area, considering, you know, that's fairly open to the, you know, you know the ocean area, you know, a lot of wind in that area. But they said it'll be about a month before this goes away from that area. So I don't know how where you're at compares to that. But uh, a month of breathing like that seems um, very tough and difficult. So I think we got a lot of friends who are out
0: there in that area who are all going through the same thing, yeah. Yep yeah it's and and California you you know for all of the years I've lived here, I have loved coming back from anywhere to San Francisco because the air is so sweet and yeah. so clean and constantly being um, all of the bad stuff is constantly being blown inland by the ocean. But with this particular fire this most of the fires are are after the ocean and after me on the way inland, and this fire is between me and the ocean. And so the wind blows in, and instead of clearing it up, it makes the fire burn more and makes the smoke deeper. Uh, we will keep,
1: uh, keep keep hoping for uh, better days, a little bit more rain, hopefully, um, and uh, and just keep watching things. It's very it's – and it has an impact. I mean, that's a, an area where a lot of the companies that we talk about and that the people that we work with are at, so I'm sure we'll continue to hear about it for, for quite some time. Um, but I'm glad to hear that you and Heather are safe and home, and at least it's a step in the right direction.
0: So. That's right. That's right. Uh, and, you know, this is me complaining. I live in paradise. I, I live in paradise. And once once in 25 years, it got a little uncomfortable. Uh, uh, and so I need, I need to to take all of this serious this year with a bit of a grain of salt, because this is an amazing place to live. Yeah. yeah.
1: Well, I think, you know, it's, it's been, it's, you know, it, it's, there's been a lot of it the last couple of uh, years. And I mean, this is the second time this year alone, I think that you guys have had to evacuate. But like you said, you, you know, everywhere you live has challenges. I know, you know, we didn't get hit that hard this year with the hurricane, but Louisiana obviously did in the most recent hurricane, and, you know, there you know were many people who have lost their homes and even those who have lost their lives to it. I think everywhere you you are at, you know, there's some sort of, of natural sort of disaster that is, you know, in your possible purview as a, as a uh, location, uh, your organization, but that's kind of the, the, a lot of the conversations we've been having this entire year, right, has been how do you sort of live through whatever is going on around you, right? Continuing to to work, continuing to make sure that the people that you love are taken care of, continuing to make sure that the people that you work with are, you know, in a place that they're safe to work at. Um, This is a conversation I think we've been having. If there's any conversation that's going to be uh, remembered from 2020 outside of, you know, pandemic and dealing with a lot of other sort of political and, and social injustice conversations that need to be have. The other one is probably about workplace safety, right?
0: Right. Well, you, you know, for my money, um, the, the, the way that we are headed is to a reprioritization of things in HR. It's, it's not going to be possible as it was for many, many years to have an HR department whose primary question is other than safety. Right? The safety of the workplace, the safety of the organization, the safety of the individual worker is a foundational thing in the management of human beings in the organization. And in the transition from industrial work, it used to be the case if you worked in a factory, there was always a medical office on the factory floor because working in a factory meant that you risked losing an eye or an arm or a hand or a leg because it was a heavy process, whatever the process was. And so, Industrial HR often had safety as part of its function. Um, when, you, when we got to the, to the information era and companies started to be white-collar service companies or call centers or those sorts of things, safety started to look more like, do you have a policy about carpal tunnel syndrome, right? um, and do you clean up spills when they happen? And so it took a lesser profile for for maybe as long as 40 years. And now we're back to what's the fundamental thing that, that HR does. And I think it's first, safety. The organization has to be safe. The people have to be safe. Once they're safe, then you can start working on health and wellness, which is how do you become flexible and active and adaptive at work, And then you work on development, which is how do you get better? And these are both organizational issues and individual issues. It's like a ladder. You solve the individual question and it has some consequence at the organizational level. And there's this sort of feedback loop between the two um, so that the definition of wellness and health at my company might be different than the definition of wellness and health at your company, because it's, it's suited to purpose. And then the next layer of that is how do you develop the whole thing? Where's the company going and where are the individuals going? So, so this is how you stack up the priorities of HR and how you tell what's the next most important thing to do. When there's a safety problem, that's the most important thing to do. When all the safety problems are at hand and being managed, then you can work on health and wellness. And so it works like a, it's not really a maturity curve, but it's a series of thresholds that you have to meet in order to develop. A, a safe, healthy organization is capable of being adaptive um, and capable of learning new things. But you can't learn if you're worried about safety um, and right, and so, and so, what that means is we're going into a time where you don't get firm policies about a lot of stuff, and we have a lot of questions to ask, ranging from social justice to do we really understand the skills question? You know there's that that's 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 really interesting because there are a lot of people who have invested a lot of money in the idea that skills are complicated and that there's like this big assumption that it's really hard to get skills, right? It might be the case that we don't really understand. them. So the example I heard recently was, which is the more complicated and stressful job running nursing services in the emergency room or running house cleaning in a hotel. And um, it's becoming clear that the housekeeping job is harder and requires deeper skills, but that we have applied a classist lens to the work. And since lower Social status. People do the job. We assume that it's not complicated, and it turns out that it may be. It may be the case that somebody who runs housekeeping at a hospital is actually uniquely suited to run nursing services. In uh, housekeeping in a hotel is uniquely suited to run housekeeping uh, nursing services in a hospital. But because there is this class distinction between the styles of work, we assume the skills are different, and the skills may not be different. And so these yeah, are the kinds of things that we have to look at, right?
1: Yeah, no, it's, it's an interesting, you know, a, a dynamic, right? Because I think there's, there's sort of two thoughts
0: around this. Um, I mean,
1: first, going back to your conversation about HR's role, you know, if you look historically – very early days, the 1900s, even early 1800s, when HR was just sort of a, a thought and the idea. It was generally put in place in, inside organizations. Um, the very first roles were focusing on safety, and particularly child labor and, and um, health and safety inside of organizations. And then that turned into what later became known as the HR function. But a little sort of, you know, extending what you're talking about, is this idea that um, HR's role is to maintain the ongoing um, health and wellness of the organization and the professionals, kind of like a uh, a hierarchy of, of, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of of sort of needs, right, Um, for the human being. You know, I think the challenge in that sometimes is that there is a, a dynamic between, you know, is that the CEO's role, to make sure that all that stuff is in place and HR's role to sort of just manage it. So I think there's a bit of conversation to be had there, but I get where you're going with it. Uh, on the other side of it, you know, the, the conversation about, you know, interchangeable job roles with the fact that skill sets maybe aren't looked at um, uh, as sort of transferable, right? This is, that's the term we tend to use in the learning and development space. Do you have transferable skill sets, skill sets that, are done in the housekeeping role versus skill sets that are done in the nursing management role. Are there things that can be used in both areas? Um, and I think the, the bigger conversation isn't so much about whether or not we, we lend a level of, um, you know, uh, one skill set is better than another skill set, but that we haven't really documented the skill sets that you need to run the housekeeping. I I think it's it's as much an an issue of, and again, it probably gets back to whether or not we think it's important, but you have to know about the skill set and what that skill set is and document it in some way. And that's the piece I think people are talking about as being very difficult. It can be done, but it seems to be um, one of those tasks that always get pushed back when, whenever things happen, like, you know, dealing with pandemics or, you know, the organization goes into uh, financial challenges, those type of things. So, yeah, I, I get where you're going, but I think there's, there's probably a little bit more context to it from what I've seen, um, and we need to think a little bit more about how we, how we sort of define the jobs, right?
0: Well, so so I, 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 am, I am running down a road that's probably three or four years ahead of things, but here, here's what I'm seeing. The basic accumulation of an ontology of skills, which is there are like 30 players who are doing it from – Um, Yvette Cameron's blockchain-based cross-industry thing to the heart of Workday's operation. The way that people are collecting those skills ontologies is by examining job postings. And so if a, a... Let's keep on nursing and hospitality. If a nursing... Job description includes nursing-specific language to describe the skill, and the hospitality job description includes specific language to describe the hospitality skill. It's impossible to tell from the language that they're talking about the same thing. Yeah, It's impossible to tell, and all of the ontologies are built on this fallacy that the way it's described in the job description constitutes a difference in skills when it may just be that the way it's described in the job description constitutes a different emphasis or a different lens of the same skill. And we have no way of answering that question. But my thesis is that it's a language thing and that the language reflects class and caste um, orientation and that the difference between the two things has to do with status and it doesn't have to do with the actual skills involved. Um, And it's a hard theory to disprove because the basic idea of skills inventories right now comes from not on the job analysis of what people do, but an extraction from job descriptions written by people who are immersed in talking about things in a certain way.
1: Yeah. No. And, and to sort of add to this picture so I, I do agree with you. I think the job description conversation is, is probably the biggest issue in this, right? Um, when, when, so we've got some data that will be, that will be releasing a little bit pre-launch um, um, of our bigger data set for the Sapient Insights CRCDR uh, research this year. And one of it was looking at what data was missing during the COVID-19 crisis to sort of to basically make the decisions you needed to make. And one of the top pieces of data that came out, there's a lot of data that people needed, but that was updated and was available, right? So, so we have some data on that. But the pieces that were either not available or not updated, one of the top ones that people needed was listed as job descriptions, which I think goes back to what you're talking about is that when they have them, and there was a lot of people who said, yeah, we have them, but they're not updated, they weren't relevant enough to help make these decisions because they weren't Found in reality in some cases right or hadn't been updated or hadn't been sort of developed in a way to really understand the skills and I think that gets to a little bit of what you're talking about
0: yep i I'd, I'd say that that question that you just identified which is how do you get the job descriptions to match the jobs is now a health and safety issue um, and it became a health and safety issue when all all I For my money, all job descriptions to one extent or another became invalid about the first of March this year. And what people do for a living today, in many, many cases, doesn't really resemble what they did six months ago, even though it's called the same thing. They go to the same place. They work with the same people. But... The medium of communication and the understanding of what constitutes a positive result and the definition of who's successful and who's not successful—these things are all up in the air. Um, And I I was sitting in a vendors' thing yesterday, and they were talking about their great how to run a remote workforce training programs, and I thought to myself, "Are you nuts?" We don't have the slightest idea how to run a remote workforce yet. It's too soon. And to be teaching people your BS ideas about what constitutes a, a good remote workforce, it, it's almost criminal. <laughs> because, because nobody could <laughs> oh know the answer to that question.
1: Obviously, you were in a good mood yesterday. Poor vendor, right? <laughs>
0: Oh, my oh no i, I, I bit get get my yeah. thumb the entire time I get my thumb the entire okay. time um, well, because there's okay. no use it, there's no use in having that conversation that's not helpful yeah um,
1: it is and, and I think because I think the thing is is that what's happening is that we're all trying to figure out what's the right thing to do, right from researchers to you know industry analysts to vendors to even you know the hr function you know and and practitioners and leaders. You know the point about that—that it, that it's criminal because you're you're sort of making moves, right? And I get that. I think there are people who are making quick moves and making, um, uh, making comments about what they think their products, their tools, or their organization should do without having the real investment in the time and the thinking that's required to understand that the world has changed in a way that's probably more dramatic than we than we are acknowledging, right? But I also think that there is um, a need to um, to start to, to put some sort of definition to what that change is. I know uh, there's been a lot of conversation about the fact that, you know, we just don't know what it'll look like in a few years. But I think um, as human beings, we just, the, the, the desire to sort of name it, right, the desire to put a box around it is so powerful. And 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 helps us make more sense of the world. So I understand the, the desire to make that conversation more categorical, more, more practical, right?
0: Oh, God, I wish I could fix everything, too. But but <laughs> wishing that I could fix it and claiming to be able to are two really different things. <laughs> you, you know, I, I don't like it very much. I wish there were good answers. I really yeah. do. I wish, yeah. I wish there were good answers all over the place, but there aren't. <laughs> And well, saying that there are is a disservice.
1: Especially if, if right? it's being done in, in, in a silo without a lot of investment in time and thinking and getting the research and the data. Um, to put a little bit of uh, chat in there about what would be helpful to making some of those decisions, I would agree. Yeah, definitely. And yeah. Yeah. I mean – The vendors that we've been working with over the last several months, I mean, I do think that most of them are really trying to take – I mean, a lot of the small vendors, I think, are are rushing quickly to try and show the value they add in the market, right, in this space, because many of them are are facing um, the possibility that they might not be here tomorrow if they can't figure out the next model, but I do think the larger vendors have been taking a much more cautious view to this from what I've been sort of seeing in their outputs and their expectations. i have not seen anybody who I think has taken sort of dramatic steps that, that are, have been done without some real caution about how you think about work going forward and what people should be doing inside of it. So, and, and for, not for the fact that that it's just good business, but I also think that they themselves have been trying to figure out how to balance things. I mean, the payroll industry right now is trying to understand what's going on with this, you know, tax exemption thing that, that Trump just put out. Right. You know, we've got organizations who are now seeing backlashes from, you know, um, their involvement in, you know, back to school work and and the fact that, you know, that employees uh, within the schools are the ones who are sort of dealing with the bigger fallout from that. Right. So I think every type of um, vendor is handling this very carefully would be my sense who was, who has a name and a stake in this
0: so yeah okay we'll- we'll disagree about that a little bit but i'm not i'm not, I'm not in the mood for stirring that pot um, just yet um, yeah, um yeah. there there have there there are a couple of interesting things in the news right and and the two that strike me as the most important to talk about are um uh, the h r tech conference and um the um, appointment of a co-CEO at Workday, right? Those are big news and things. There are other things like, like DeGreed continues to um, raise money. um, And, and, and the one that you were just on, which is people can't figure out how to make sense out of this guidance to not pay payroll taxes. Yeah. Yeah. And,
1: And all things I think are impacting our market in a way that, um, you know, each one of the the sort of the these news items, I think, is news because you know, or or more interesting news because of the environment we're in in 2020. Um, the conference, the HR so for those who sort of follow the news and the work that we do, obviously, right, on a regular basis, every year in October, the um, HR Technology Conference, put on by the LRP organization, is is generally known as the. Probably the largest, I think, I believe, I I don't have the exact numbers, but I would believe it's probably the largest, at least from a vendor perspective, as far as the amount of vendors who show there and the amount of people who know of the event. Um, In-person conference, usually held in Las Vegas, uh, has been, you know, for the last several years, mostly in Las Vegas. Um, And sort of a a meet and greet where all of the industry experts get together, as well as, as many of the practitioners and leaders in the market. Um, was scheduled to be done in early October, and they finally made the decision to move it to virtual. Um, and they also announced um, speakers. And so, you know, not to put a, you know, too much fine point on it, both you and I were sort of uh, listed as keynotes. We also saw Josh Burson on there, Jason Aberbrook, one of our good friends, Stacia Gar, um, uh, Tolando Tolbert, and um, the CHRO for um, Lincoln Financial Group, Lisa Buckingham. So an interesting list of eight keynotes to round out what is now a virtual session that they're hoping will replace the in-person event. And and I believe they're really investing in a new platform and tools to make it more of a community event. That is my take on it. Um, But, John, you know, a lot of what we're talking about here we're going to be seeing at this event, right, from a a pandemic conversation to uh, changing times to the new world of work, Right.
0: Yeah, I think, I think if you're trying to make sense out of what's going on with technology in the context of right now, this is going to be an extraordinary dive into the question. And, and it's a big, because, because the crises, the various crises, are hitting different companies in different ways, it's harder than usual to say that there's a single trend going on. You know, there's this. We talked about last week the sort of K shape to the economic uh, uh, divisions, and so so companies that are uh, primarily white collar, upper middle class companies are doing really well, and companies that are more hourly are not doing so well, and their responses to Technology choices are going to vary because of that, right? There isn't a universal fix out there, and yeah. this will be it'll, – it'll be a great conference because it's a place to see the broad variety rather than, than the individual perfect solution to everything.
1: Yeah, and that's, that's the nice thing about these kind of conferences where, you're, where it's not – I mean, the vendor events are great as well for for, for sort of what they offer, but a lot of times they're very tailored towards the industries that the vendor themselves are more focused on. Um, In this particular case, you get cross-industry. You get a lot of different voices, and, you know, I'm excited. You know, we'll be launching the the survey data there, but we'll also get an opportunity to talk a little bit about sort of um, what we're seeing as far as the the user experience, right, which I think – I'm interested to see, because our survey went out right in the midst of everything, if the user experience around, you know, HR technology this year has changed at all because of what people were going through. So there's you know, not only that. how are we using the technology and what technology are we using, but, you know, how are we perceiving the technology right in the midst of all of this? So, so it'll be a good event. I'm excited about it. Um, you know, but in the midst of this, we're also seeing this week a new Workday co-CEO. So um, for many who follow sort of the Workday um, organization, obviously, um, uh, Anil has been sort of the longstanding company CEO. um, And uh, Anil's um, focus has been on sort of growing the Workday environment um, to really focus on sort of enterprise organizations and expanding the platform conversation uh, this was, I don't, I don't know if I would say it was a surprise. We've seen co CEO models at SAP, we've seen it in other large organizations. Um, but to um, Workday announced last week, they were promoting uh, Chano Fernandez to a co CEO position. And it sounds like Chano is going to be handling um, uh, a lot more of the sort of operation things, while it looks like Anil will be focusing much more on the product area. Um, the um, HR, marketing, some of those areas. And so it'll be interesting to see how this works out because I think Anil has always had such a very clear, distinct voice about what he's expecting to come from the Workday environment. Um, But Chana's got a great background. He's worked for Infor. He's worked for SAP. He's been very global in his focus. Uh, That's what he's been running for Workday for the last several years, has been their global um, organization. What do you think about this? John, sort of a co-CEO model. Does this work in organizations?
0: Well, I I, I don't know if it works in organizations, but I think it's hysterical that anybody thinks that Anil can have a partner in this. (laughs) You you know, Anil is a force of nature. Anil is an amazing, astonishing force of nature, but I can't imagine a power-sharing relationship with him. Mm. Um, And so, so I don't know how this works out in the long haul, um, but but it's an extraordinary challenge to do what they're talking about doing there, because Neil is so good at what he does. Um, and um, so so I, I got the bag of popcorn out. I'm watching from the sideways. I think this would be funny. Um, <laughs>
1: I I will just say when when the first announcement came out I said hmm, this will be interesting but willing to see because I do think sometimes the burden in the CEO the the sort of amount of of sort of effort that you have to lift on your shoulders can be overwhelming and often um, makes it harder to to sort of drive a shift in a in a direction you want to drive it um, I think a lot of it will come down to how clearly they denote roles and responsibilities and who owns what area so we'll see. Um, If that takes, but I agree. I think everyone's kind of going to sit back and go, huh, okay, let's see where this goes. But interesting. We also had big news this week. I don't know if it's a big surprise, but Ultimate and Kronos finally came out with their name. Um, So for those of you who also follow that Ultimate and Kronos merged last year um, or earlier this year, had gone through the process of trying to do a name selection, did a really get great presentation this week on, on that and walked us through and came up with the name Ultimate and Kronos Group, which was not overly surprising, but I actually think that their acronym UKG, which is probably what they'll be going by going forward, um, will be a lot easier for people to sort of remember and it will keep the two brands together. So I, that is an announcement it's probably worth at least mentioning this week as well. Um, any comments on that, John, or just make it easier to say it all at one time? <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I, you, you know, I think I think it, it this move tells you something about um how important and challenging it is for these two companies to mer- merge. I think by doing this, they become the second largest player in the space, right? That's that was the point of the original merger yeah. and um and they serve different audiences with slightly different product sets, and um, they, they um, when they made the presentation, they said, oh yeah, UKG is like BMW, it's an acronym-based company, like ADP is, uh, and um, you can, over time, turn an acronym into a legacy brand, but it takes a lot of work to do that, and you have to figure out how to keep the identities in shape, and I think they've set themselves out a great challenge. I I, I don't know that I think you say gee, It doesn't it doesn't do a thing for me. Um but it doesn't really need to. They have to build it into something that does a thing.
1: Exactly. And, yeah, that was and, my take on right. it. Yeah. It gives them an empty vessel to build on and an empty vessel that doesn't take away from their current environment. And we've seen a lot of really bad name changes and a lot of them end up taking away <laughs> from the validity. We have. I mean, I mean, yeah, yeah. we won't mention them because some of them are still in business. But, <laughs> but, um, but yeah. Well, I maybe, this maybe, was...
0: maybe maybe we should build a new business model about who we mentioned. and who
1: we don't <laughs> I I think there's been been enough historical from our from our previous shows for people to know which ones we were had problems with, um, <laughs> but but. I think what UKG does is it, it it doesn't take away from anything that they were and gives them a vessel to fill up. And I would agree. They have a, a hard road to go to show that these two cultures can come together. I was pleasantly surprised by the announcement because they did walk through all of the work they went through to get, and this was not a, a quick, oh, we made this decision. Um, it was truly probably six months worth of work, I think, they were talking about. Maybe three months, but still, they had gone through international analysis. They'd gone through a lot of different options. They had had a, a, a poll from their their um, employees um, that started the process, um, and so there. I think they really went through a deep sort of um, analysis of who they were um, to come back to what was a point that was probably pretty, pretty good, pretty good, good starting point,
0: anyways. So, yeah. Yep. Yep, Um, and and they're going to learn, you you know, the teams there are amazing. The teams there are amazing, and they're going to learn how to produce this consolidated joint message. And it's great to understand that the private equity investment companies are willing to get behind the idea of um, spending money on brand. Private equity companies are not necessarily known for wanting to invest in marketing.
1: Yeah. No, I I think it'll be necessary in this case, and if they get it right, and they get the ability to connect their two systems um, in a more seamless way than we've seen with other mergers and acquisitions, I would say everyone else should be watching them very carefully. They will be a brand to reckon with if they get it right, and that's where that's really what it's going to come down to, right?
0: Oh oh my my goodness the 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 breadth of their insight into. To nine, and so if they can yeah. get this right, and they can get they can get the basic data model done, then they have the opportunity to actually build the kind of intelligence into their systems that that Workday frankly dreams about, um, uh, because they've got a broader range into the data, right? And when when this all comes all comes down the data that matters is behavioral data and behavioral data looks more like payroll time and attendance and performance management than it looks like um, uh, turning job descriptions and postings into skills ontologies. Yeah,
1: no, without a doubt, the, the workforce management component of this, um, if they can turn that into a a sizable set of data, they can access. Now, it is worth noting that a lot of, of, of uh, Kronos' data is still in an on-premise environment, right? Um, but if they're able to, to access that into their cloud environment, they will be um, a force to reckon with because they do have that kind of skills concept that I don't think anybody else has that depth in. So, But there's other ones, I think, in the, in the market who are, who are also building on this. We've got Ceridian. We've got um, some really interesting stuff coming out. Even um, some some of the the pay cores, paychecks, pay losses who are adding sort of time and attendance into their tools as well. So nobody has the ability to sit on their laurels right now. I would say.
0: So. Yeah, that's um, right. There, it, there is an interesting okay. thing, and maybe 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 you're seeing it in the data already. But you know, on-premise computing doesn't work if the company is distributed. <laughs> yes Right right and and so so there is probably a pretty big bounce for cloud oriented transitions right now in companies that have resisted that over time because you simply can't administer a remote distributed workforce from inside of your plant in the way that you can if somebody else is running the data center yeah
1: I will say, I mean, I've been, I'm have doing the analysis right now, actually, of this data. So I, I can't give any exact numbers. And I was expecting to see a lot of drop-ups of the on-premise area. Um, I, I have seen some shifts, but not as big as I thought yet. Now, I haven't run the numbers, so I, I could be surprised once I actually run the numbers because I'm doing a lot of sort of putting comments and others into the fields and stuff. But, yes, I, I thought we'd see a huge shift from – you know, sort of on-premise to cloud this year, but we already did a pretty big shift. I mean, the the remainder, you know, 30%, 40% in that range, right, depending on which application area you were talking about. If you were in talent management, it was much smaller. If you were in payroll, it was obviously much higher. Um, those organizations that are on those are on them because none of the tools out there could quite do what they needed yet, right? Like they weren't they, – the reason they had moved was not because – they didn't want to move. In many case it was because the tools weren't quite doing what they were doing, needing. So it'll be interesting to see if they are being forced by this um, shift here to make that move. That's in the States, the United States. Internationally, though, I can already tell you I think the international market was the biggest opportunity for a jump anyways um, to the cloud. We definitely are seeing more movement to the cloud more rapidly. So that that I can already see in the data set. So I think that might have propelled the international markets to move faster because there's a lot more people there who don't have customized and uh, as much customized environments. From...
0: Wow. A lot of interesting stuff going on. So yeah. another great conversation. Thanks for doing this. This was a particularly interesting we're in a particularly interesting time, I think. And and by the way, congratulations on being a keynote at the Tech Talk. Thank you, thank you, well done. for listening. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thank everybody for listening. Uh, we'll see you back here same time next week. And thanks again for doing this, Stacey. Bye bye yeah. now.
1: Thanks, guys. Bye. <laughs>